Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is God Close at Hand by Pastor Sean Wood. testimony of John the Baptist, Andrew joins Jesus and rushes and gets Peter and says, Peter, listen, come on, you've got to come and meet this guy. And now we see that Jesus takes the initiative and approaches Philip. And I love these words of Jesus found Philip. You know, in all religions in the world, there seems to be a prominent figure, a a prophet or somebody that is telling you what you need to do to reach out to God. But what I love about Jesus is we see him reaching out to us. That's the difference of Christianity. Every other religion will tell you what you've got to do to try and reach out to God. What we see in Jesus is what he is doing to reach out to us. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. The, the hound of heaven finds Philip. And he says to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. Isn't it interesting that just after a very brief encounter with Christ, we see that uh, Philip runs to get Nathaniel. A.W. Tozer says that God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. I wonder if that's us here this morning. God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. God wants to interact with us personally as he did with Philip and Nathaniel. I need to move my slides. Philip, after a brief encounter comes to Nathaniel and says, we have found him. Who, who have you found? A brief encounter with Christ absolutely changes Philip. He comes to Nathaniel and says, we have, who have you found, Philip? Who is it that you have found? We have found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Moses had written about Christ. The prophets had spoken of this Jesus. It didn't take Philip long to realise that Jesus was the one that they had spoken. We have found him. Nathanael said to him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It would be like us saying, could anything good come from the north side of Brisbane? (laughs) Only by a miracle, we know that. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's Philip's reply? I love this. This, is, this points to a God that is close, as, close at hand. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And of course, Philip said to him, come and see. And the minute that Philip says that, what Philip is saying to, to Nathaniel is, this Jesus can be known. You can, you can come and talk to him yourself. You can come and find out for yourself. Or as the psalmist would say, come and taste and see this Jesus. Come and see this Jesus that I have spoken to. Come and see the one that I have found because he is different come and see there is an experience here for those of us that watch MasterChef the food looks good on some of these MasterChef shows don't they and then they they bring in this food and it can look whatever it wants to but when it gets before the three chefs the only way they know whether this food is good or not is if they taste it 2,000 years after Philip said to Nathaniel Come and see, I would implore people that the way you can know Jesus is come and find out for yourself. 
Don't take my word for it. Come and find out for yourself just how good Jesus is, just how personal and individual Jesus is. Come and see, taste and see, which speaks of a God that can be experienced. Let's now move on to Nathanael and Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. You notice Jesus doesn't say an Israelite wearing nice clothes. He doesn't say an Israelite who is, is, is obviously well cleaned or uh, has good heritage. No, no, no. When Jesus says, here's an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, he is speaking of information of the heart that nobody else knows. Nobody else knows this about Nathaniel, and Nathaniel knows that. Nathaniel says to him, How do you know me? The Bible uses the word know in five different ways. Most commonly, it speaks of intimacy. That's what Nathaniel's talking about here. How do you know me intimately? This, this is more than information. You know more than information about me, Jesus. You know me personally. Well, Jesus is going to explain a little bit more to Nathaniel. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. And it wasn't uncommon for Israelites to sit under their fig tree. In fact, uh, uh, Pharisees and those studying the law would often sit and meditate underneath the fig tree. If you were, if you were well off, you would, you would sit under the shade of your fig tree while everybody else tended your vineyard. But Jesus says to Nathaniel, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And can I tell you this morning that when God sees you, he sees you on a completely different level than anybody else will ever see you. God sees you without all of the walls that we put up. God sees you without all of the masks we so often wear. God sees you when you are at home alone crying because somebody has hurt you. God sees you. You can wipe your tears and put on your makeup and come to church, but God saw you before you got here. When Jesus sees you, it can change you. Before Philip called you, Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. There is no doubt in Nathaniel's mind that he is talking to somebody who is divine. Nathaniel realizes straight away, I'm not just talking to a man here, I'm talking to the God man. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you want to catch the full sermon on Nathaniel, look up on the YouTube channel, the I Saw You sermon. I want to move to actually my favourite now is the, the favourite story for me in the Gospel of John. The favourite personal story for me is found in John chapter 4. We're going to breeze through this chapter as we touch on this lady's life. Uh, but the reason I like this is Jesus should not have spoken to this woman. Jesus, Jesus 
breaks down cultural norms when he speaks to this woman. He, 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 he's going against everybody's perceptions. I love what A.W. Tozer says. A.W. Tozer says, I refuse to allow anybody else to put their glasses on me when it comes to how I view God. And can I tell you this morning, you know, uh, people can preach sermons, yes, and we can read it in books. But if you want to know what glasses to look at God with, please use these glasses. Jesus does something remarkable here. I marvel that he would even take the time. And so easily we could read the account of this woman and think that she accidentally bumps into Christ. Who knows you never accidentally bump into God? I haven't known anybody yet that accidentally bumped into God. John Piper says that at any one point in time, God is doing 10,000 things in your life of which you may be aware of three. It just so happens that Jesus is walking through Samaria. Let's pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 4. And, as, and he had to pass through Samaria in Galilee. Sorry, excuse me, verse 4. Yes, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Please understand the sixth hour is midday. It's a prominent thing in the story of this lady. Why? Because a woman from Samaria comes to draw water at midday. If you were drawing water, you were most likely the woman. The woman was sent to do the job. But the women would go together to the well outside of the town early in the morning, before the heat of the day set in. They would not go alone to the well. What is this beginning to tell us about this woman? She's travelling alone at the worst part of the day to draw water good possibility she's carrying a reputation, not just a bucket. This woman from Samaria comes and has a Jesus moment. You know, over the last couple of months, there's been a few people that have rocked on into the office that are having Jesus moments. Just phone calls at the right time or or just accidentally happening upon people's paths. I had a Jesus moment where I just happened to land into a Christian home. What a beautiful lady she is. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. (laughs) He doesn't want a drink. We all know now that Jesus doesn't want a drink. In fact, he never receives any water from this lady. In fact, the only person that receives anything by the time this is finished is this lady. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Good question. Why? Because Jews despised Samaritans. You see, Samaritans and Jews were theologically opposed. Go figure. The Samaritans held to the first five books of the Bible, but they didn't accept the prophets, they didn't accept much of the rituals of the Jews. We're going to get to that in a moment when we're talking about worship. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, John tells us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Spurgeon says that faith is the road. Faith is the road that we walk as pilgrims, but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. That's where the living water lies, friends. Isn't it interesting that here comes a woman seeking water from a well and she just happens to bump into Jesus. So often Jesus meets us at our wells. We try to draw water from many different places. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Who knows that Jesus doesn't need a bucket? Who knows that for this woman to receive living water doesn't need anything from us. In fact, it is better if he has nothing from us. It is better if we come completely surrendered with completely empty hands to him just to receive from him. I don't need your bucket to find living water. So you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Great question. And before she leaves Jesus, she will know where she gets that living water. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes. He gave us the world and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Praise God. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Who wouldn't have replied like that? Who would not have said, give me some of this water? Sir, give me some of this water that I may not be thirsty. You have to come here to draw water again. And now Jesus goes a little bit deeper. We see what Jesus is doing with this woman is what he so often does with every one of us. Like an onion, just peeling back the layers. I want to get to the middle. I want to get to the place where, I want to get to your heart. I want to get to the place that makes you tick. I want to get to the place that makes you revolve. I want to, I want to get to your affections. I want to get to your desires. And I'm going to peel back the layers until I get there. I love how he does that with this lady. So he says to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, this would have been the proper thing to say. It was improper for a lady in the first century to speak to a man without her husband present. But Jesus knows where he's going with this. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Peeling back the layers. Peeling back the layers. This woman in the moment is going to respond exactly the way we mostly normally respond ourselves. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. We're going to leave it there, she says. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Hang on a second. We were talking about husbands. How did we get onto worship? And what she's doing is she's saying, let's get off the personal and let's get onto the theological. Let's, let's get away from talking about me at the moment and let's talk about you Jews. No, 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 no. Jesus says, you go wherever you want. Uh, I'm going to bring the conversation back to peeling layers off you. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 
But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I love the response of Jesus here. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Why? Because no longer will relationship with God be all about a business transaction. It's not going to be about location. It's not going to be about temples. It's not going to be about ceremonies and rituals and laws. It's going to be about the heart. won't matter whether you're standing on whatever mountain. I'm going to be inside of you. Worship is now different. You worship what you do not know, says Jesus. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Will worship the Father from the heart. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Again, we find Jesus has an intimate knowledge of this lady. You've had five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't actually your husband, and some commentators agree that these five men weren't necessarily her husbands, but the five men that she had been joined with. Just then his disciples came back, and listen, look at the reaction of the, the woman here. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. She came out to get water, she leaves the jar, she leaves everything. She abandons her whole agenda for the day, because why? Because she is so excited at the one that she has met. Women should be in ministry because Jesus has just appointed the first evangelist. And Jesus doesn't say anything to stop her. In fact, it's encouraged So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. There's evangelism in a sense, in a nutshell. Just come and see a man. I want want to introduce you to the greatest man in the universe, a man who told me everything I ever did, a man who knows me like no other man has, and I know because I've had six. This man is different. This man knows me a lot more intimately than anybody else does or could. Down to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And we come down to verse 42, and it says, They said, To the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Again, we see Jesus. Jesus came to save the world. He pours his life into 12 men, one of whom would betray him. Jesus knows that his time on this earth is short, but he never runs anywhere. You read the Gospels. Jesus never ran. He always walked. 
what we might have considered interruptions, Jesus saw as opportunities to speak into people's lives and to reveal and make himself known to them, just like he does for us. I want to have a look at another prominent chapter in this gospel. We'll we'll look briefly at this guy, but uh, I like this guy because, you know what, he he just doesn't care, and he's one of these guys that says, I don't care what the Pharisees say about Jesus, I'm going to make up my own mind when we get to the end. He says, I'm going to make up my own mind. But I want to touch on this man that was born blind. Chapter 9, verse 1, it says, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth, a, a man blind from birth. He saw a man amidst many other hundreds of people in the temple at this time, many other beggars sitting there. Jesus sees this blind man. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? A brilliant question. Uh, I don't know which disciple asked it, but brilliant question. I'll get an amen up the back there, so thank you, sister. But a brilliant question. Why? Because uh, the theology of the day was that all sickness and all affliction was the residue of sin. It was because you have sinned, therefore you deserve your affliction. And we do. We, we, God absolves it all. Glory be to his wonderful name. We, we don't deserve anything that we've got. We don't even deserve the oxygen that fills our lungs. That's how graceful this God is. But that's actually not correct theology. And the disciples say, well, you know, who sinned here? This guy's, been, this guy's been blind from birth. Was it his parents that sinned then? Because he hasn't even had the opportunity. And I love Jesus' response. I love the response of Christ here. Let's read it. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And what Jesus is saying is, this has got nothing to do with cause and everything to do with purpose. It's got nothing to do with who caused what. We all deserve affliction. And in Western society, perhaps we could do it a little bit more. Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him and the works of God will be fully displayed in this man before Jesus is finished with him. This is the purpose. We all suffer affliction on different levels. Have a look at how Jesus, have a look at the healing of this man here. We see that in verse 4, Jesus says that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Great sentence. I am the light of the world. Verse 6, having said these things, he spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And where do we read in history of that ever happening in the past? Never. Why? This man was healed by the absolute grace of God, but it is still individualistic. It's different for every person. You read the gospel accounts. The circumstances and everything surrounding it are different. People's, how people are healed is different. How lepers are cleansed are different. And it's different for this guy. Jesus didn't say, well, I read in the law of Moses that this is what you do. 
The man responds and he's healed. We go through the Pharisees calling this man in because in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus had broken the law. Jesus, by uh, and the, the amount, I mean, these guys were so fanatical. Uh, we'll talk more about the Pharisees next week, but the Pharisees were so fanatical that you weren't even allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might attend to your appearance, and that's classed as work. It would be more work for me than for some, but looking in the mirror on the Sabbath was not allowed due to it could be work. And they're saying Jesus making the mud and kneading constitutes work. That's how silly their rules had become. That's how legalistic they had become. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes to earth and says, I'm, basically, I'm going to look for some disciples, he never goes to the temple. He never consults the Pharisees. He goes to the shores of the lake and calls some fishermen because they're the most holiest of men. And everybody said amen. But by the time we get down to verse 17, it says, So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, and he said he is a prophet. And when the man says this, he is risking everything. Understand, this man's source of income has just vanished. He was able to beg, he was able to receive an income because of his infirmity. Now he's lost that, and he stands to lose everything else because they will put him out of the synagogue, which means you are cast out of the community. You are cast away from the possibility of being able to trade and and work amongst the Jews. And what I love about this man is, if you read the chapter 9, you'll find he doesn't care. And he's actually got a little bit of attitude towards him when he's dealing with the Pharisees. He says to these Pharisees, he says, I find this preposterous, my paraphrase, that you would consider that this man could not be from God. Since when has anybody ever been healed, uh, uh, somebody born blind? When has that ever happened? That's what he says to the Pharisees. He can't understand why they're even having a debate. And he is put out of the synagogue. He's thrown out of the synagogue and he doesn't care. He loses his social standing and status and he doesn't care. And by the time we get towards the end, verse 35, it says that Jesus heard they had cast him out And having found him, so Jesus has obviously gone looking for him. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who was speaking to you. And now he changes his vernacular and says, Lord, I believe. The Gospel of John shows us a Jesus that is not... You know, Jesus doesn't sit halfway up a mountain somewhere with his legs crossed like some guru saying, you have to come to me. Jesus went down into the towns. He met ladies at the well. He spoke to a Pharisee after dark about what it is to be born again. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is looking for a womb to climb back into. And Later on in the next chapter, he's talking to the woman from Samaria and says, you need living water. And she says, you haven't even got a bucket. Jesus doesn't need a bucket. And Jesus doesn't need any more 
wounds for us to be reborn. But Jesus does see every person in this room. If I could ask the worship team to come back and tinker. Jesus sees every single one of us in this room and Jesus wants us to drop the business transaction. I believe that Jesus wants us to be able to have a relationship with him that is all about the heart. And it's not about rules, and it's not about regulations. It's not about man-made or imposed boundaries. You know, we could do with losing some boundaries. We could do with leaving our water jars and just come to Christ seeking a relationship simply with him. If you're sitting here this morning and there's some people that probably need to hear these three words, Jesus sees you. You can sit in these seats here every Sunday if you like and you could not be in relationship with God, but I want you to know Jesus sees you. For all the circumstances and the storms of life that smash into our boats at times, Jesus sees you. If you're sitting in this room this morning, you're saying, I don't want to leave here the same as what I came. The altar's open. Every single person that encountered Christ went away different. And we have that same opportunity. So if that's you this morning, I I open up the altar. If you need to do business with God, then the altar is always open for you. And I would encourage you to do that. But let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.